Good evening, everyone, and welcome back. For some of you, I know some of you weren't able to be here last night, uh, so I'll give all of last night's talk first. And then, no, I'm just kidding. Um, one thing, though, that I am doing is I just have my little phone in my pocket, and so I actually recorded last night uh, on audio. And so uh, just find me after, and if you want to just hand me a piece of paper or a business card or something with your email, I can email you last night's, and then we're going to do the same uh, for tonight and then for tomorrow as well. We'll just make those. It's just the audio, so you can listen to it in your, in your car. Um, last night, uh, the subject all through the three nights um, is the subject just simply of, of joy, finding joy where we are, finding joy in our faith, um, finding joy even in difficult circumstances, finding joy even in Lent. So that was the topic last night, finding joy in our prayer, finding joy in fasting, and finding joy in almsgiving and being generous. Well, tonight um, I want to focus on finding joy in the sacraments of the church. And so it's going to be just a little kind of a walk through uh, the seven sacraments uh, of the church and where we find Christ present in each one and where, you know, we've all received maybe different sacraments along the way, but where uh, the the theme of joy comes through, um, especially in what the sacraments give us, the effects of the sacraments. But what I want to do is start tonight uh, where we started last night. Um, with a beautiful passage from the Gospel of John, and it comes from John chapter 15, and it's the vine and the branches. So I read this last night, and I'm going to read it again tonight, and I'm going to read it again tomorrow, um, because it's just one of those passages um, that I hope can kind of stick in our heads. It's a beautiful image that we are the branches and Christ is the vine. And if we're going to be the people the Lord calls us to be, if we're going to live lives of joy, if we're going to share the gospel uh, with others and help the parish and the church to continue to grow, if we're going to raise families in the faith, we have to be connected to that vine. Um, Lent helps us do that. Um, The sacraments especially help us do that. So this is John chapter 15. I'm just going to read the first, oh gosh, six or or seven verses, um, and then I'll lead us in an opening prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. From John chapter 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He takes away every branch in me that does not bear fruit, and every one that does he prunes, so that it bears more fruit. You are already You are already pruned because of the word that I spoke to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit because without me you can do nothing. Let us pray. Loving Father, as we come to you tonight on the second night of this Lenten parish mission, 
Send forth your Holy Spirit upon us. Each of us gathered here, each of us listening to this, this parish, these parishes, their pastor, their church leadership, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us that the fruits of being the branches connected to the vine would bear rich fruit in this place. Be with our families, our friends, all those who are dear to us, and especially anyone who is hurting or suffering in any way. Give them your consolation and your peace. We ask this all through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, I'm going to use really just two texts. Um, these are two texts that will help you all throughout your Catholic life. One is the Bible. The other is the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Um, both are just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful uh, resources to, to give us uh, a good path forward. One resource I want to give to you, if you're not familiar, um, is last year there's a priest up in Duluth, Minnesota named Father Mike Schmitz. And Father Mike Schmitz is a kind of a young guy, uh, talks really fast. Uh, Father Schmitz put together what's called a podcast, and the podcast is called Bible in a Year. And what he did is they took the Bible and they split it up into 365 parts. And in about 20 to 25 minutes a day, he reads the Bible and explains it. So each day, a little 20, 25 minute Bible in a Year. Last year in the United States, it was the most popular podcast uh, in the country. So they decided, well, that worked. We should probably do that again or do something like it. So they took the catechism of the Catholic Church and split it up into 365 parts. And so this year, starting January 1st, um, as, a, as a podcast, uh, Father Mike Schmitz is doing the catechism in a year. Both of them are excellent, excellent resources. I did Bible in a year all through last year. And today is, I think, day 58 or something of catechism in a year. If you don't know what a podcast is, that's okay, too. Find me after. Um, if you have a smartphone or if you have a computer with the Internet, you can, you can get a podcast. But anyway, two excellent resources. All right, so the theme is joy. And the subject is finding joy in the sacraments. There are in the church seven sacraments. Um, I think probably you know that, uh, but I also don't want to just assume that everybody knows everything. Seven sacraments, and they're split up into three categories. We call them the sacraments of initiation, the sacraments of healing, and the sacraments of service. So the sacraments of initiation are baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist. The sacraments of healing are confession and anointing of the sick. The sacraments of service are marriage and the sacrament of holy orders. So we're going to talk about each one um, and, and talk about how Christ works in our life through each one of those. And I'm going to read extensively, especially from the catechism, um, because there's just a lot there. And it's a beautiful articulation of what we believe and while we've experienced many of those sacraments, um, sometimes we don't always know the power that exists from having been baptized, from having been confirmed, 
um, the effects of going to confession, the effects of receiving the Eucharist. There's so much there that I want to just uh, to bring bring to light. So first thing we're going to do is just to talk about baptism. Baptism is the, is the gateway to all the other sacraments. You can't receive any of the other sacraments if you've never been baptized. You might remember when you got married or when one of your children was going through First Communion or Confirmation, you had to go find their baptismal certificate. You were crawling through your closet and lifting up books and trying to remember, where, where did we live when Jimmy was baptized? You got to prove that you were baptized in order to receive the other sacraments. Baptism is the, is the gateway. Now, for most of us, if we grew up in the, in the Catholic Church, we were baptized as infants. Perhaps some of you were baptized later in life, teenagers, college, maybe well into adulthood. Last year at my parish, um, I baptized a man who was 93 years old. There was a teenager, I was telling the teenagers that story, and, and I told them that when you're baptized, all your sins are forgiven. And they were like, so he didn't, he didn't have to go to confession? And I said, no, he did not have to go to confession. That guy's so lucky. <laughs> now, he could go to confession after that, but those 93 years, uh, any sin that he committed on the day of his baptism, those sins were wiped away. Baptism is such a beautiful sacrament, but again, it's one that we may not see all the time. Um, and it's one that we might even not, don't, we don't remember about our own life. Um, I have like one grainy picture of my baptism. That's all I got. Now today, when you baptize today, we have 500 pictures and video from four angles. And um, it's, really, it's really quite awesome. But when one is baptized, um, something really amazing happens. There's multiple effects of baptism. So one is sins are forgiven. Sins are forgiven. Whether a baby who hasn't committed any sins, but who inherits original sin. We heard that in the first reading yesterday at Mass. Sins are forgiven. So for my 93-year-old parishioner, all the sins of his whole life wiped away in that single moment. That's the beauty, the, the grace of God. It's not something that he earned. It's the free gift of God for that man. So when we're baptized, our sins are forgiven. When we're baptized, we are officially welcomed into the family of the church. We become vines right onto that, branches right onto that vine. We become connected to the body of Christ. And so when someone is baptized, it's a big deal. There's a reason we make such a big deal about it. One of the encouragements, maybe a little homework to take home tonight, um, is to find out the day that you were baptized. Maybe you got to dig through that closet again. Maybe you got to call the parish where you were baptized. Maybe it's here, maybe it's somewhere else. But to find out the day you were baptized, stick that on your calendar and celebrate it. Pope Francis makes the argument that the day of your baptism is more important than your birthday. 
He says, when you were, he was kind of joking about it, but he says, you know, on your birthday, you really just changed locations. You were the same person in your mother's womb and outside, just in a different place. But on the day of your baptism, sins were forgiven. You were welcomed into the family of the church and you were given the promise of eternal life. And so the catechism has a lot to say about the sacrament of baptism. And in fact, one of the things that our church teaches is that baptism is necessary for salvation. Now, there's a distinction there. We think especially of maybe children who died before they were baptized. Um, there's also such a thing we call the baptism of desire, right? So when a child dies before baptism, if the parents were, were moving in the direction and would have had that child baptized, that baptism of desire kicks in. But what we know about baptism, uh, this is paragraph 1262 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It says this, the different effects of baptism are signified by the elements of the sacramental rite. Immersion in water symbolizes not only death and purification, but also regeneration and renewal. One of the things I love to do at my parish when we have, we have a bunch of little kids running around um, is we try to do baptisms as often as we can during Sunday mass. Now there's always a little grumbling because it makes mass take like six minutes longer. So when people, you, so some of those people come in, maybe this is you, I'm not looking at anybody. They come in, they say, Father, is there, is there a baptism? I say, yeah, isn't that great? And, oh. <laughs> Mass is going to be just a little bit longer. But when someone is baptized, again, as a baby or as an adult, there's this renewal in that person, but also kind of symbolically, and there's a renewal in the life of the community. So one of the things we like to do is, to, is for people to be able to see, maybe you don't know this family, Maybe you don't know this baby, but when we're a part of that baptism, the kind of the parish life is, is renewed a little bit. We, guys, we got a new Christian on our hands and we all got to see it. So we try to take advantage of those moments um, and to baptize as, kind of as publicly as possible. All right, so it says, thus the two principal effects of baptism are purification from sins and new birth in the Holy Spirit. So you want to talk about trying to live a life of joy. If you're going to live a life of joy, you've got to have the Holy Spirit. So when one is baptized, sins are forgiven. You're welcomed into the family of the church, that branch on that vine. There's a renewal that happens in the life of the person. They become, scriptures tell us, they become a new creation. That's why your baptism day is so important, more important than even your birthday. That was the day that you became a new creation. Now here's something that I think we miss when we think about our baptism. We think about our baptism as this thing that happened once a long time ago. And maybe that's true. We don't re-baptize. Maybe some of you at some point in your life have, were active in the church and then you weren't and then you came back. It happens every year. People say, Father, I need to be re-baptized. And I'm like, well, tell, me, tell me what you mean. Give me, you know, well, I was 
you know, I was baptized as a, as a baby, and then I went to college and stopped going to Mass, and then I came back, and so now I need to be, like, re-baptized. I said, we, no, we're not, we don't do it, okay? Your baptism is as good as it was on the day that it happened. But the graces that were given to you on that day are still very much available to you. That's, I think, something that we miss, especially with those sacraments that are only given once. Baptism, confirmation, marriage, holy orders, right? I was ordained a priest back May 26, 2007. You better believe that the graces given to me on that day are still working in my life. The same is true for our baptism. Those graces, God breathing his life into you, whether that happened 80 years ago or last Easter, those graces are still available to you. So when tough times come, when you have to make a difficult decision, whenever you need God's help, you can call upon the graces given to you on the day of your baptism. It's a beautiful, beautiful sacrament that I hope um, that we take advantage of its effects. 1264 of the Catechism says, certain temporal consequences of sin remain in the baptized, such as suffering, illness, death, and such frailties inherent in life as weaknesses of character. And so as well, an inclination to sin that the tradition calls concupiscence. So we have this, even though, even though we've been baptized, even though we were forgiven of those sins, we were cleansed, we became a new creation, the effects of sin are still around us. And so that's why we need, we'll get to it in just a minute, why we need the sacrament of reconciliation or confession after the sacrament of baptism. If you go back to the early church, the sacrament of confession as we know it today wasn't quite fully developed. And so what would happen is people would wait and wait and wait to be baptized. They would be believers. They loved Jesus. They loved the church. But they would say, no, 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 no. Wait until like the last possible moment when I'm about to die, then baptize me. Meanwhile, they've been missing out on the graces that were given. And so now in our day and age, thanks be to God, we have not only the gift of baptism, but then we have post-baptism a way to be forgiven of our sins. We call it confession. We'll get to that in just a moment. So baptism is really key. Baptism is that first thing right out of the gate. One little side note I just want to mention. Many of you perhaps are godparents. Um, I want you to take that job very seriously. Um, if you are a godparent to somebody out there, and maybe they're little, maybe they're a teenager, maybe they're old, take that job seriously. The role of godparents um, is tremendously important. Um, make sure that your kids and your grandkids know who their godparents are. I never lived near my godparents, um, but every year, uh, in and around the day of my baptism, um, I would get a card from them reminding me of my baptism. So I'm into my 40s, and I'm a priest, and I'm still getting cards with five bucks in it from 
my godmother and my godfather. Beautiful kind of circle of life kind of thing. Um, last August, um, I did my godfather's funeral. It was just absolutely beautiful. Um, he was there on the day of my baptism. And now as a priest, I'm there to send him off to his heavenly homeland. Just beautiful, beautiful stuff. That's the connectedness in the life of the church. Okay, so baptism, there's a lot more that can be said. There's a lot there in the catechism. Um, I'll simply just say that Jesus himself was baptized. He, gave, he, he was baptized to kind of give us a, a pattern of what that ought to look like. And what was said at Jesus's baptism, you know that story, we hear it every year, we heard it just a, just a month or so ago. When Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened and the voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That's a line of scripture that I hope dwells deep in our hearts because the same thing was said about you on the day of your baptism. You wanna have Christian joy? You wanna really be happy even in the midst of difficult circumstances? Is go around town, live your life with the knowledge that you are a beloved son or daughter of Almighty God. Suddenly most of your problems kind of go to the side. It doesn't make our lives perfect. But when, especially when you're going through a difficult time, just coming back to that very basic fact that on the day of your baptism, you became a beloved son or daughter of the Father. Pretty amazing stuff. Put that on your mirror to remind yourself in the morning. Put it in your car. Tell it to your kids. Tell it to your spouse. You are a beloved son. You are a beloved daughter. All that happened on the day of your baptism. All right, so then later in life, we move to what we call the sacrament of confirmation. One of the best images I've ever heard, it's a, it's a little, uh, I don't know, a little crude maybe. One of the best images of confirmation um, is you take a big glass of milk. Everybody with me? Picturing big tall glass of milk. All right. On the day of your baptism, we take Hershey's chocolate syrup and we squish it into the milk. Now, what happens? If you don't do anything to it, what happens? It kind of sinks to the bottom. The sacrament of confirmation is like taking a big old spoon and stirring it up. So the graces were given to you at your baptism and then at your confirmation, at whatever age that took place, those graces are stirred up. Those graces are renewed in your life. So just as the graces, just as God's life, God's breath was made available to you on the day of your baptism, the same thing happened on the day of your confirmation. Those gifts were stirred up in you. And so when we talk about living a life of joy, we have to connect that to the Holy Spirit. And so at a confirmation, we typically sing songs like the Vene Creator Spiritu, come Holy Spirit. If you need just a short way in which to pray, 
I would give you just come Holy Spirit. You're going into a difficult meeting. You're going into a difficult conversation. You're not quite sure what to do with a big decision in life. Come Holy Spirit. I say it to a lot of people, in, especially in the sacrament of confession. People come and they say, I just do not have patience with my husband, with my kids. I'm a teacher and my students are driving me a little crazy. And I say, just when you get into those moments, I want you to say, come Holy Spirit, give me the gift of patience. Well, I was in this conversation with my son and I really needed to tell him something, but I was kind of afraid. Come, Holy Spirit, give me the gift of courage. Well, I was driving down the street and this guy cut me off, and oh, geez, I could. Come, Holy Spirit, give me the gift of compassion. The Holy Spirit is incredibly powerful. And when we call upon the Holy Spirit in our life, uh, the, the fruits of the Spirit, St. Paul says from the, from, the, from the letter to the Galatians, I'll read them for you. Beautiful passage, Galatians chapter 5. He kind of starts with the negative and then moves to the positive. St. Paul says this to the Galatians. Live by the Spirit, and you will certainly not gratify the desire of the flesh. For the flesh has desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you may not do what you want. But if you are guided by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. And here's a tough list to hear. Immorality, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, rivalry, jealousy, outbursts of fury. I've always thought that would be a good like band name. Outbursts of fury. Acts of selfishness, dissensions and factions, occasions of envy, envy, drinking bouts, orgies, and the like. It's quite a list. Those are the works of the flesh. But St. Paul puts those right next to what he calls the fruits of the Spirit. So where the Spirit is present, here's what we see. St. Paul goes on. In contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So look at your own life and ask yourself, am I lacking in any of those? Chances are you are, right? All of us. Are you lacking in love? Maybe for a particular person or group of people. Maybe somebody against whom you have a, a grudge. Somebody against whom you have some resentment. I know a lot about this. I'm, my name is Brian O'Brien. I'm Irish. I learned uh, in my teenage years, I was reading about uh, kind of a, a history of the Irish people. And what I learned is that the Irish are really good at holding grudges. Um, later on, I heard a term called Irish Alzheimer's. And the term means that we forget everything except the grudges. Right? These grudges, these resentments, they, they live in us. They kind of define us. St. Augustine said, holding a resentment 
is like giving somebody else poison, excuse me, drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. So we hold on to these resentments and they go against the, the law of love. So looking at your own life, it's Lent, right? A time to, to look inward. Am I lacking in love? Am I lacking in joy? Am I lacking in peace, patience, kindness, generosity, self-control? If one of those is lacking, or maybe all of them or a few of them, calling upon the graces given to you at your baptism and at your confirmation and saying, come Holy Spirit, help me to have more control over this aspect of my life. Help me to really love this person against whom I have some resentment, right? Lent can be a beautiful time where our hearts are changed, are turned from stone to flesh. And the graces that God wants to give have already been given. For us, it's a matter of kind of opening up a present. Um, how many of us on Christmas morning or our birthday, somebody hands you a wrapped present do you just say, wow, this is, this is great. You got to open it. You got to tear that thing open, right? Those are the graces that God has already given us in our baptism and in our confirmation. Graces that simply need to be unwrapped and opened up. So what's lacking in your life? The fruits of the Spirit are available to you. And I would say, especially for our purposes here, uh, the great fruit of joy. So we have baptism, we have confirmation, and then the third sacrament of initiation is the Eucharist. I'm going to leave that to the very end because it's the sacrament of sacraments. It's the one we ought to spend the most time and attention on. So we move out of the sacraments of initiation and we move to now to the sacraments of healing. I'll just mention very briefly the sacrament of anointing of the sick. What a beautiful sacrament. Um, as priests, I can speak for Father Valentine, we love to anoint people. Um, it's just such a beautiful sacrament that brings the healing touch of Christ, that brings his peace. Um, if you're facing perhaps old age, if you're facing some physical infirmity, if you're going in for surgery, no matter what age you are, if you're facing some tough health decision or battle, find a priest and ask to be anointed. One of the frustrating things about being a priest is sometimes people kind of wait till the last minute or I'll get a call you know, at 10 o'clock the night before and they say, Father, I'm having surgery at 5 a.m. Can you meet up? I mean, yes but I also saw you at Mass on Sunday. That would have been a really good time to, to anoint you. The sacrament of anointing is, is so beautiful. It comes from the letter of St. James, chapter 5, and it says, If anyone among you is sick, let them send for the priests of the church. The priests will lay hands on that person. Their sins will be forgiven, and they will be strengthened. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stuff. So I just encourage you to seek the sacrament of anointing. It's a beautiful gift of God's healing. Now, let's talk about confession. Confession is, I think, the most underutilized sacrament in the church. But it's the 
I don't want to say the best because the Eucharist is the best. But guys, confession is so good. Now, what are people's objections to going to confession? I'll name a couple. People get a little nervous. People aren't quite sure what to say. People aren't quite sure they're going to do it right. Let me just address that one first. When somebody comes to confession, sometimes they're a little kid, teenager, young adult, adult. It happens all the time where somebody walks in and they say, Father, uh, it's, it's been a while. Can you help me? And what you're going to find from every priest I've ever met is someone who's going to welcome you and help you. And so don't let maybe the, the formula of it or that you haven't been in a while, don't let that be something that holds you back from confession. Um, I love the image uh, of, a, of a window. All right, so you take a kind of a clear window. You can see through it from either side. And the sun is shining through that window. Maybe picture your kitchen or your bedroom. The sun is shining through that window. What sin does is sin is like mud on that window. It starts with maybe just a little bit of mud, and then more mud, and then more mud. And then before you know it, mud covers the whole thing, and the sun is not shining through. Now, what's interesting to note is that the sun is still shining. The sun has not stopped shining just because it can't get through your muddy window. What confession does is it wipes that window clean to allow the grace, to allow the sun, to allow God's life to come through that window into the room of your soul. And so when we go to confession, um, we wiped the slate clean. One of the most beautiful things a priest can hear is when somebody comes into confession and let's say they know the, the formula and they say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been years since my last confession. My response to that is to say, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. People who have been away from the sacrament for five years, 10, 20, 25, 50. And now it takes some humility. It takes some humility to walk in there and to say your sins out loud. But it's so, so, so worth it. So I don't know where you are with that, if it's been recent or if it's been a while. Um, but I just want to encourage you um, this week to take advantage. Part of a parish mission I mentioned yesterday is this visiting priest comes in and you don't know him and he comes in and kind of kicks your butt a little bit, right? This is the butt kicking. I'm kicking your butt to go to confession. Um, we need it. And we actually want it. Because when it's over, there is such an amazing relief. I'll tell you two stories. One was a little kid, maybe eight years old or so, and he comes in and goes to confession. And uh, at the end of confession, he was sitting kind of right in front of me. Well, at the end of confession, the priest puts his hand up 
to pray over the penitent. This is, you know, it says the prayer of absolution, God, the father of mercies through the death and resurrection of his son, etc. Well, I throw my hand up and, and I, I usually like kind of close my eyes while I'm praying this prayer. Well, then I get a high five. And I, so I opened my eyes and I was like, oh, oh, all right, good. All right, buddy. Okay. Well, I went back to, I had to start the prayer over again. Um, but just that, that, the, the joy of a, of a child, you know, recognizing that something good is happening here. And this priest wants to high five me. Yeah. The other thing I've seen, though, um, is an amazing, even a physical transformation. I've seen people come into confession almost like hunched over. Almost like weighed down by the, the, their life of sin. And then when you say those words at the very end of confession, the priest says the words, I absolve you of your sin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There's like this, they like stand up straight and they walk out of there with their head held high. They walk out of there as a beloved son or daughter of Almighty God, which is exactly what you are. But sin gets in the way of that. And so if we're going to be joyful people, if we're going to live this life of Christian joy, we have to acknowledge that there are many ways in which we fall short. Sometimes those things are big. Sometimes those things are small. Sometimes those things are recent. Sometimes those things are from way, way back. But Lent and this parish mission are beautiful opportunities to just come and to get rid of it. To leave it at the feet of Jesus and walk out of there free of those sins. Your window totally cleaned. God's light shining through. One of the most impactful confessions I ever had, I was in high school. And I went on a retreat with my parish and the priest, I didn't know him. Um, sometimes I like to go to priests that I don't know. I'll go, to, I'll go to any priest. But I like to sometimes just go to a priest that I don't know. I'm never going to see him again. He doesn't know me. I don't know him. Well, this particular occasion, we're all in line, and there were multiple priests hearing confessions, and this door opened up, and somebody came out, and I went in, and I went to confession. It had been, I don't know, probably had been maybe a year or so since I had gone to confession. And this priest said to me, and I say this to people now all the time. He said, your sins are forgiven and your soul is in the state that it was on the day of your baptism. How about that? You want to talk about God's grace shining through into the heart of a 16 year old boy. I've never forgotten that. And I've repeated it thousands of times to others. When I get to heaven, I got to find that priest and say, that was awesome. Good job. <laughs> All right. So confession, beautiful opportunity to receive the gifts of God's healing mercy, that beautiful effect of confession. Our sins are forgiven and we leave filled up and strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Okay. So we've talked baptism. We've talked confirmation. We've talked anointing of the sick. We've talked confession. The two sacraments of service, I'll mention just very briefly, the sacrament of holy orders. Um, that's deacons and priests and bishops. 
One is I just want to encourage you to pray for your clergy. Uh, maybe you already do, but if you don't on a daily basis, pray for your pastor, pray for our bishop, pray for our seminarians, pray for our deacons. Um, I hope that you'll make that a regular part of your prayer life. There, I saw right out on the table here, there's a number of little cards of our seminarians. You can pick those up and put them on your refrigerator, put them in your wallet as a reminder to pray for them. Um, being a deacon and being a priest and being a bishop, most certainly, um, can oftentimes be very difficult. Make no mistake, we have a great life. We have a life filled with joy, filled with peace, filled with wonderful opportunities um, to get to know people, to be a part of people's lives at their most important times, at baptisms, at funerals, at weddings, um, th that confession of somebody who's been away for years and years and years. We get to be involved in the lives of young people. We get to be with people at the very end of their life. All of these things are wonderful. But there's a lot of demands that can often come. And so you might see sometimes in, in priests um, that, that, that they're maybe lacking some joy. This happens to me all the time. I have this one lady, she comes to daily mass um, every single day, and she's sort of like my mood detector. Now, I'm not recommending that you do this on Father Valentine. But when I'm just kind of walking, you know, and like getting ready for mass or, or something, she'll kind of come up to me and she goes, Tough day, huh? I, I haven't said anything. I didn't do anything. She just like sees this look on my face and I say, yeah, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Kind of a tough day. Okay, I'm praying for you. And then she like disappears into nowhere, right? She has this sense of like how I'm doing. And what I find is it actually gives me great encouragement um, because I know that at least this one holy woman who's way holier than I'll ever be, She's out there and she's praying for me and knows that on difficult days or on good days that she's lifting me up in prayer. And so we want to have joyful deacons and joyful priests and joyful bishops. Um, but just, I just simply ask that you pray for your deacons and your priests uh, and your bishops every day, if you would, um, that our lives would be fulfilled, that our lives would be filled with, with great joy. Um, holy orders um, is a beautiful gift to the church. As many have said over the centuries, if there's no priest, there's no Eucharist. And so pray for your priests. Pray for a future priest. And then here in this parish, here at St. Mark's, at St. Francis of Rome, my hope is that you have your eye out for young men and women that you can encourage to priesthood and to religious life. Uh, and to not be shy to say something. Now, don't overwhelm them. I was in high school and got overwhelmed by the old ladies of my parish. All right, and it kind of got really annoying. So don't overwhelm, but just simply invite. There was a wonderful woman at my parish growing up. She actually just died last year at the age of 98. Her name is Mary Rose Bukley. Mary Rose Bukley was the little old lady at my parish who, well, once or twice a year, would say, Brian, now you're thinking about the priesthood, right? And at the time, I was like, Mary Rose, would you like to meet? This is my girlfriend. Like, would you, could you not, could we not talk about the priesthood, like in front of this, this cute girl right here, maybe? So then later on, I was 22, and I was teaching in Tulsa, and I had a girlfriend and, and came home um, and brought my girlfriend, her name's Karen, brought her to, to meet my parents. So we go to daily mass, 
And there's Mary Rose. And I introduced Mary Rose to Karen. And Karen was awesome. And it was kind of, it was a good relationship. And it was just new, but we were maybe moving towards uh, perhaps this, the sacrament of marriage. Well, about six months later, Karen and I broke up. Sad story. Uh, but I come home and there's Mary Rose. And Mary Rose says, oh, how's that little friend of yours? And I said, oh, well, we broke up. Mary Rose says, good, I've been praying for that. Thank you. Thank you, Mary Rose. Appreciate that. Now she's up in heaven praying for all of us. Anyway, pray for your priests. Pray for your priests. Pray for our bishop. Okay, the sacrament of marriage. Um, Lots and lots and lots of things can be said about the beautiful sacrament of marriage. But ultimately, the sacrament of marriage um, is meant to um, bring about uh, the joy of the spouses, to bring about uh, children, right? There's many wonderful effects and, and fruits. I mean, I'll just simply tell you about one of the best weddings I ever went to. Uh, my good friend, Tim O'Rourke, he was kind of my first friend out of college to get married. So I was 22, 23. I go to Tim's wedding up in Cleveland, Ohio, and the wedding was beautiful, and we're at the reception after the wedding. And, you know, everybody gets up and gives toasts and kind of all that stuff that happened at a, at a fun wedding. Well, Tim, the groom, he wants to make a little speech, which usually doesn't happen. The groom doesn't always get up and say something. Well, Tim gets up and he just says, hey, I really, you know, thank you all for coming. What a wonderful day um, for, for Susan and I. And I just want to say this in front of all of you. He said, I read somewhere once that the purpose of marriage is for the husband and wife to help each other get to heaven. And he said, I just want to tell all of you here that I can't think of anyone better to entrust that task to than my new wife. Isn't that the most delightful thing you've ever heard? Tears, just not a dry eye in the house. The beautiful gift of marriage um, is meant to bring about children, but also to bring about the joy of spouses. And so maybe every once in a while, just like for your baptism, to be able to go back to one's anniversary, to go back to one's wedding day, and to say, where was, where's that joy that we had on that day? How can we rekindle that? Now, life is obviously full of ups and downs, and marriage is way harder than I think most people anticipate. It's a very difficult thing. But it's ultimately meant to be a source of joy, not just to the spouses, but to the world. We have a couple at my parish, young couple. They always sit in the same spot. I think you all do too, (laughs) right? That happens everywhere. No one's in the front row. Everyone's in the same spot. Well, this couple, what they decided to do was uh, to uh, try to meet uh, the people who sit around them. And so what they did was uh, they decided to have what they called a pew party. All right, so let's just say they sit here, and then those same people sit right here, and then some other people sit over there, and some other people sit over there. Well, they showed up one day for Sunday Mass with invitations. They didn't know anybody's name, but they all sit together, And they just started passing out invitations to the people that sit by them. And it was an invitation to their house for that Friday night 
um, just simply to get to know each other. It was their, their pew party, all right? And I just love that. One, because it's just a great connector within the community and the life of the church. But here was this married couple. They didn't have kids yet. And they just, they had great joy. And they wanted to share that joy with those around. And so now that little group, sometimes they talk during mass, right? Because they all know each other so well now. That little pew party, right? This little first row, second row mafia going on here, right? Sometimes I have to be like, hey, I'm watching you guys. The joy of marriage is meant to radiate out into the world, just like the joy of priesthood is meant to radiate out into the world. Okay, finally, finding joy in the Eucharist. When I received my first Holy Communion, um, I was in second grade, like many young Catholics, and the story goes that me and my 40 or so classmates um, received our first Holy Communion. And I walked out of the church, and I don't remember this, but my mom remembers it like it was yesterday and tells the story all the time. I walked out of the church, and there's my brothers and sisters standing there, my mom and dad. And I walked up to my mom and dad, and I said, this is the greatest day of my life. And you know what it was? Now, baptism day was pretty good. Confirmation day years later was pretty good. Becoming a priest was pretty good. But on that particular day, I got to receive Holy Communion for the first time. And now, could I explain exactly what the Eucharist was? No. Was I able to maybe answer lots of questions about it? A little bit. But there was a sense in me, a deep faith instilled in me by my parents that what we were doing here was really, really good. And so I want us to be a people that never takes the Eucharist for granted. Sometimes we can go through the motions. By the way, priests do that too. Sometimes it's difficult when this is the, the second mass of the day or the third mass of the day or the fifth mass of the weekend. Sometimes priests can even go through the motions, and we all do it. But to try to snap ourselves out of that and really enter in to each and every Mass that we come to. Because what is happening on this altar every Sunday? And what's happening is something really, really amazing. Jesus Christ is becoming present to us. Jesus Christ becomes present to each of us on this altar in the hands of the priest through the power of the Holy Spirit. The ordinary bread and wine become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. The same Jesus Christ that walked the earth the same Jesus Christ that raised Lazarus from the dead, the same Jesus Christ that healed, the same Jesus Christ that taught, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, shows himself to us. That right there is an amazing thing. One that we ought to never take for granted. But God will not be outdone in generosity. 
And so it goes further than that. God doesn't just show himself to us, but then he gives himself to us to eat. What an amazing thing. Just step back from the normal day experience of going to Sunday Mass and think for just a moment that the God of the universe, who has always been and always will be, who created you as his beloved son or daughter, who continues to sustain you, that that God comes to us and desires to live within us. That's pretty amazing. It's pretty extraordinary. In the Eucharist, in the Mass, heaven and earth come together. Now, we don't necessarily see it, but if we could see it, St. John Vianney says, if we knew what really happened at the Mass, John Vianney said, we would die of joy. Can you imagine dying of joy? Oh, he lived, the, he, lived the, he lived the good life. Oh, how did he die? Joy. We would die of joy. That's what's happening on this altar every single week. Amazing stuff. And so my hope is, friends, that we never take the Eucharist for granted. That we come to the Sunday Mass in a good place, ready to receive him, free of sins, our souls in a good place, ready to receive him with great joy. And then when we receive him, we now have the duty to go out into the world and to bring him to others. That's going to be our main topic for tomorrow. Finding joy in the mission. Finding joy in living a life of stewardship. Finding joy in taking Jesus and bringing him out into a world that badly needs him. I'll close with this. One of the things I do at our first communion every year is I go up to the tabernacle at our parish in Stillwater, and all the second graders are there in the front row, and I say, okay, boys and girls, what is this? And they all say, tabernacle! And I say, and what's in the tabernacle? And they say, Jesus. And then one little boy, this is about three years ago. I said, what's in the tabernacle? He said, Jesus. And then I came back down and little boy raised his hand in the middle of the homily, an unusual thing. And I said, yeah. And he said, isn't it more like who's in there? <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Second grader, well done. Correcting the priest in front of everyone. Nice. Not what's in there, but who is in there. And then I said to them, and I say this to you tonight, when we receive Holy Communion on Sunday, we become one of those. We become a living, breathing, walking tabernacle. Jesus living in us. Jesus going into every cell in our body. Right? That's a cause for joy. It's an amazing thing. And it's something unique about being a Catholic. It's something that so, so many of our Protestant brothers and sisters don't, don't share. 
And one of the things that I, I feel bad, my, my, my Protestant friends, when we talk about the Eucharist, I say, guys, I just, I just like feel bad. I just want, I want you to, to get to do what I get to do. They love Jesus. They, they recognize him in his word. They pray to Jesus. They have a strong relationship with Jesus. And I say, guys, but nothing is better than being able to come and to receive him into our bodies. That's the ultimate joy. If we knew what happened at every mass, we would die of joy. It's an amazing thing. We'll close with prayer. And we have a little reception. Many of you were able to stay last night. Just a good time to visit with people. I'll say what I said last night. Um, many of you have gone to church together for a little while. Maybe you go to Pryor. Maybe you go to Langley. For the next 10 minutes, you have permission to ask anyone their name. Okay? And no one will judge you. There's that person. You've been sitting by them. You want to invite them to your pew party but you don't remember their name, right? Use this opportunity to build some community. Then we'll gather uh, tomorrow night at 6.30, and tomorrow night we'll be finding joy in mission of going out into the world and taking the good news out into where you live and where you work and where you go to school, living a life of stewardship, of generosity, and how that can change the world in which we live. We'll dive into that, living a life of joy in mission. Let's pray together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we come to you as branches attached to the vine, especially through the great gifts of the sacraments. Pour out in us the graces that we need today. Stir up in us the graces received in baptism, in confirmation, for the times we've been anointed and when we've gone to confession. Give us courage to be able to face our sinfulness, to respond generously to your call for mercy, to go to confession if we need it. We lift up, Lord, all of our deacons and priests and bishops. Breathe into them a life of joy and generosity. Be with all those who are married Renew in them the graces given on the day of their, of their wedding. Give them the graces they need towards peace and reconciliation, towards generosity and joy. And especially, Lord, in the Eucharist, we thank you for the gift of your Son who comes to us in each and every Mass. Give us joy in receiving him and joy in bringing him to others. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen.